Well, good morning. Um, This is Crossing the Line Podcast. My name is Natalie. I am going to follow up a little bit on my podcast from yesterday. If you're hearing something in the background, it's my coffee. Um, It's about 7 or so in the morning, and I had some time, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about um, some, some reflections on my podcast that I did yesterday. It was a little off the cuff, a little offhand um, in terms of I kind of jumped all over the place because I have so much to say and and I just need to like organize it and put it in a good in a good um, on good explaining terms so I was looking through I like I had said yesterday I've researched a ton um, really done a lot of education for myself and a lot of people that maybe in narcissistic or dysfunctional relationships, once they kind of learn about it, then they want to fill themselves with, you know, as as much knowledge as they possibly can. And so that's where I'm coming from. That's where I'm at. Um, it's rare that I would read something. I mean, obviously, every person has a different viewpoint, has a different perspective, a different theory about narcissism and narcissistic traits, if you will. And so I actually wanted to reference um, one of the handbooks that I really, really liked. And this is um, the Piper Narcissistic Mother Recovery Handbook. And this girl is actually a social worker, um, and she has a website called NarcissisticMother.com. Now, this is something that I had printed out and had looked at, and I wanted to touch upon a couple of things. I can sit and talk all day long um, about narcissistic traits and dysfunctional family patterns and things like that. But when you hear from someone that actually has a background in it and um, has deals with it on a daily basis, whether in counseling or, you know, her work as a social worker, um, it kind of takes on a different, a different level. So again, I spoke about some things about, you know, some traits of narcissistic people, um, in particular, um, narcissistic mothers. I also kind of jumped off and, and talked a little bit about narcissistic traits in general, whether it's from your mom or not. And I wanted to touch upon a few things, and this podcast, obviously, I always encourage everybody to listen to my disclaimer, um, you know, because that's actually part of my podcast uh, that people need to listen to prior to listening to all of my podcasts. This is in no way blaming, shaming, whatever else you want to think, um, because some people may come across this podcast and say, oh, that girl hates her mother, and she's just here just to voice about it. That's not really the case. Um, it's difficult to explain. It's difficult for people to understand. Um, but I have just learned that um, some people are better loved from afar. Um, you know, I will always um, care about my parents, but it's just not healthy for me to be around them. And it's not healthy for my children to be around them. Um, I, I'm, I'm getting confirmation of that pretty much on a daily basis, um, especially over this past Mother's Day. Um, but this isn't anything that is about being mean or um, this is about educating people. And a lot of times, pretty much every time, these people may not even, they have no self-awareness. They do not understand. They, they think that the way that they're acting is appropriate. They think that their feelings are appropriate. They, they think that their feelings are facts. They think that, that whatever they do is justified because of the circumstances, you know, of their, of their lives. Um, so 
I just wanted to kind of get that out there because I think that some people can obviously take it as, well, this girl's just out. She's just out, you know, to, you know, blame her parents for the way that she is as a person. And I'm here to tell you that I am here to change my life um, as a result of the way that I was raised. And I am going to change the way that I parent my children and have changed the way that I parented my children um, because I don't want them to be brought up in a similar household that I was brought up in. And again, these people really have no self-awareness. They really don't understand. Um, you never would hear them talk about narcissism unless they were going to call you a narcissist um, or say that you have narcissistic traits. Um, so that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming from with that. So one of the questions that in this Piper Narcissistic Mother Recovery Handbook was, do I have a narcissistic mother? So narcissists and narcissistic people have a range of personas. They're charismatic, they're successful, um, and it kind of goes from that to abrasive and, and unable to care even for themselves. It's really confusing when you have a mother or maybe you see somebody else's mother who appears likable and capable, yet what you hear from the child was that they really didn't give them what they needed. Um, for recovery purposes and for people to help people get through what they've gone through, um, Piper describes a narcissistic mother is someone who, for whatever reason, was so internally distracted by her own needs that she was unable or unwilling to parent you in a healthy way. So, you know, healthy parents validate you. Um, they enable you to develop self-awareness. And they see you as a human being that is separate from them and not an extension of them to be used for their own purposes. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But even though a narcissistic mother may do these things, she only does them as a benefit to her and to serve her own unmet needs. So if you think about it in that perspective, it's kind of sad because here you're like, well, I truly feel like my mom did that. Or, you know, she did do those things. But if you look at it more retrospectively, and if you and if you think that maybe you're in a dysfunctional or narcissistic, or have a narcissistic mother or a mother who has narcissistic traits, think about those times in your life when you succeeded. Think about those times in your life when you failed. Um, was she there for you? Um, was was she not? Did she support you? Um, you know, my parents obviously financially provided for me um, throughout my life. Um, they gave me a home, they gave me clothing, you know, I had Christmas every year, um, those sorts of things. And so that's what makes it really difficult for people to actually come to terms to say, you know, I did have my physical needs met, you know, and financial needs met. What else is a parent? I mean, a parent is supposed to financially provide for their children. If you can't financially provide for your children, you know, and physically provide for your children, you know, that's a whole other discussion. Where I'm getting at is, is they may have physically and financially provided for you, but in terms of having the emotional needs met and your mental needs met, um, do you really feel that way? Do you really feel that there that your emotional needs were met? And that's where I had to say the buck stops here because my emotional needs were not met. And those times when I felt that they were met, it was really to my mom's benefit, you know? Um, everything... And I can say this as a blanket statement, everything that a narcissistic person does is for their own benefit. And that's the sad but honest truth. Um, they may act wonderful around their children on the playground, um, you know, um, a classic, 
a classic example is when I talked about my, you know, the guy that I dated in high school who was very abusive. You know, my mom may have come around and, you know, um, apologized for beating me or calling me names or whatever. But the bigger thing is, is that it's, it's, the bigger thing, I guess, is that, you know, she did it for herself. Um, when I, you know, had my various points of, you know, breaking it off with him and other parents would talk with her, you know, she would be, well, she's doing well, you know, never really saying, well, gosh, you know, we, we've just had a really difficult time and I wasn't really nice to her about it. Um, they're never going to admit that. Um, on the opposite side of it, um, I have, you know, asked my parents to go to various graduations. Um, my, I had, oh my gosh, two college graduations, three, two or three. Um, my grad school graduation was, um, well, my, my first college graduation, um, they were, my, my mother's excuse was, well, we never participated in graduation. Why do we have to go to yours? Um, it was just very invalidating. Um, I guess probably what was most painful was when I had my grad school graduation and the only person that came, um, was my father and, and, and my, and one of my friends. And it was really sad because yeah, it was a couple of hours from here. It certainly wasn't, um, local, but there really wasn't any reason for her not to come. And a lot of that is really attributed to, it wasn't going to benefit her in any way. She wasn't going to be the center of attention. Um, she wasn't going to benefit, personally benefit in any way. And so she did not go. Um, it was a very, very, very tough time for me as I was going through my divorce at that time. And to simply have my father and, you know, my friend there when I saw all of my other friends who had all of their family members there and their kids. And, you know, it was just very, very hard to, it was very hard to deal with. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, I have to learn to get over and, you know, looking back on it you know, yep, it did happen. So that's kind of a little bit on, you know, they, they only do things when it provides a benefit to them and serves their own unmet needs. And that is the sad and honest truth. Um, why do they do what they do? Um, if they have the capacity to parent, your mother does so in, inconsistently with the intent, consciously or subconsciously, for you to soothe her own anxiety. She places you within a range of objectifying roles. And this objectification reflects the practice of treating you merely as an instrument to be used towards fulfilling her own unmet needs. One big thing that I always learned about narcissistic traits and narcissistic people is the two E's. And that was um, entitlement and lack of empathy. So entitlement and lack of empathy. Um, they lack empathy. They treat their children um, with an attitude that regards the child as a commodity or as an object for use with little or no regard for the child's individual personality or humanity. And that certainly, I can see that because in my previous podcast, I talked about how, you know, she would tell us things and we thought that she was telling us the truth. And, and really what that was, was, was that it was soothing her own needs. You know, if she had an audience, a captive audience, even if it was her children, if she had a captive audience, you know, as she was yelling at my father um, or having an argument with him 
you know, then that was soothing her own unmet needs. And, and then she could therefore paint the story to us that, you know, that she was justified in her behaviors. So, um, obviously a child by its very nature is vulnerable and in need of protection. If you had a narcissistic mother, you really didn't get a mom. And that can be probably, again, one of another very hard truth to come to, to grips with. Um, a narcissistic mother is truly not a mom. She doesn't really parent her children and has little to no compassion for them. The conditional love she shows her kids is only present when her children do what she wants them to do. It is and likely always will only be about her, never about her children or anyone else in her life. Everything you do is a reflection of her. A minor mistake is often seen by a narcissistic mother as an attack and an embarrassment that is met with narcissistic rage. And we'll talk a little bit about narcissistic rage. Um, when you do something well, she may not acknowledge it or may respond in an inappropriate way, taking credit for your accomplishment, attributing it to her amazing parenting. You really can never win because it will always be solely about her. And that's a tough that's a tough thing to come to grips with, you know, if you feel like you have had a narcissistic mother in your life or even a narcissistic parent. Um, narcissistic supply. Um, this is what I call attention. Um, it's, it's an easier, I guess, probably more understandable term than supply. Um, I think, I'm trying to think who wrote about primary, secondary, and tertiary sources of supply, aka or i.e. attention. And I always attribute that as attention. These people are consistently seeking out attention. And if they're not consistently seeking out attention, they're projecting their negative behaviors onto you and diverting that attention and, and making you the bad person. So no matter what the situation may be, a narcissistic mother has the uncanny, uncanny ability to make it all about her. For instance, at a funeral, she may assert herself as a center of attention, constantly expressing how tough it is on her and how she misses the deceased most deeply to the point she makes others uncomfortable, distracting other grieved loved ones during a painful time. Every conversation, every event has to revolve around her or else she responds inappropriately. A classic example of this is when um, my father was sick. And my father, without going into too much detail, my father was sick and he was in the hospital for about a week. And that was a kind of a big deal for our family because we had never had somebody that was sick and in the hospital for a week. And so what I saw in that situation was that she had a very hard time taking the attention off of herself and putting it onto my father. Um, she was jealous. She was jealous of the people that came and visited him. She was jealous of the attention that my father got. And it was a very serious time where he absolutely needed the care that he needed and he absolutely needed to stay in the hospital due to the circumstances of what happened. And it got to the point of where, probably the second to last day before he was going to be discharged home, that she literally, I, I don't remember exactly what she did, but she kind of like went off the deep end. And I don't know if it was an anxiety thing for her or if it was like a culmination of anxiety and jealousy and envy, um, you know, my dad is a, is a likable person. He has many friends, um, many people that he knows. And she turned his hospitalization into his way of using up all of her health insurance money. You know, well, it's a good thing that you could have this surgery because, you know, I had the health insurance to provide for you. And all you're going to do is increase our premiums at work because of this surgery that you had to have. And that's really sad. I, I can't ever imagine saying that to my own children 
or even saying that to a partner or a spouse, you know, by saying, oh my gosh, you know, look at all this health insurance money that you're using up. You know, that's what it's there for. That's what we pay our premiums for. It got to the point where my sister and I actually had to take her away from the hospital and like take her somewhere so that she felt like she had attention, that she had validation. So, you know, this completely explains, you know, no matter the situation, they have the ability to always make it about themselves. And that's exactly what my mother did. She made it about herself. Um, It didn't matter that my father had to have a serious surgery and, you know, she, she wasn't the center of attention about it. Um, Further, when my father was actually discharged home and was informed and told to rest, she would come home and be very upset with him and she would yell at him and, oh, you're just laying on the couch all day and I can't believe you're doing this. And it's like, the man just had major surgery. I remember coming and seeing my dad after he'd had his surgery and he was literally outside. He was outside changing a tire off of a motorcycle. I'm like, dad, you just had major surgery. You were in the hospital for almost a week. You know, and his exp- explanation was, oh, I'm fine. Well, your mom doesn't like me laying on the couch, you know, and this wasn't the first time, you know, my dad had to have other hospitalizations, obviously very minor compared to the one that he had that I've been talking about. And she would make him feel really bad about staying at home and, and being on the couch. And so that's really hard on people. And that to me, it, it explains, you know, she wasn't the center of attention and, you know, anything to, you know, divert her bad feelings onto somebody else and make them feel bad. Um, they also say, you know, this is one reason my maternal narcissists have children. Young children are the perfect audience because they hang on every word their narcissistic mother says. They need her to survive. And that is very true. She keeps them alive, but it's the children who are taking care of their mother. They feed her ego, they tend to her needs, but she gives nothing in return unless it's to her benefit. And that is really, really true. Um, She states that in this handbook that many of her clients express they have a low sense of worth from trying so hard to be what their mother wanted them to be. They never felt good enough. Part of this is due to the dehumanizing effects of a mother forcing a child into different roles. And again, that's when you come to this point in your life, if you have a, if you expressed and had a healthy childhood and as a result, you know, you have healthy relationships and I think that that's wonderful. I also know that there are people that haven't had healthy childhoods and need to understand why it is that they're, where they're at in their lives and they don't always come to that point. As I talked about briefly yesterday, we talked about um, the child roles um, that are placed by a narcissistic mother. And those roles are interchangeable, meaning you can be a scapegoat one day and be a golden child the next. Um, The hero or golden child is what she refers it to, which is basically the golden child. You fulfill her dreams or protect her fragile ego. The hero child is given far too much responsibility too early and put on a pedestal for as long as the child meets the maternal narcissist needs. If your mother puts you in the hero child role, you may have seen your mother act like a victim whom you needed to rescue or help. You may still carry an overwhelming sense of pressure to take care of her or others, sometimes to the point of needing to isolate yourself just to recuperate. I can speak to that. I think probably my sister can probably speak to that. And it's, it's very, very interesting because, um, you know, given far too much responsibility too early, I know 
of people who have had mothers who had, they basically have had to take care of, you know, something happened in, in their mother's life and um, it just automatically, one of the children became the caretaker, almost like a secondary parent. And so that's one aspect of it. Um, you know, putting you on a pedestal for as long as you meet the maternal and narcissist needs. That's something that I see time and time and time again, um, whether on social media or, you know, emails or what I've seen so far is that, you know, my mother puts my sister on a pedestal all the time, you know, um, and it's, that's their deal. I mean, whatever. I think that, I think that obviously the golden child and, and, and in fact, my sister enjoys that because she wants to be that, you know, she wants that approval and validation from her parents and from her mother. So the golden child role puts the child in the spotlight with no other demands beyond bringing positive attention to the mother. That's pretty classic. And some of you who, you know, may know my sister or know my mother or whatever it may be can see on social media um, just even this past Mother's Day. Um, and again, that's a whole different podcast. But um, when you get into, you know, looking at how she has put her on a pedestal. Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, thank you for coming and visiting me on my birthday. Oh, this is a da-da-da-da-da. Your best mom, da-da-da-da-da. To which my mom responds in complete histrionics, you know, commenting on social media, I'm crying so hard. I can't comment, I'm crying so hard. And if you truly think that I'm, like, lying, that's truly not, this is, there is nothing farther from the truth than that. Um, there, it's absolutely true that that is exactly how it goes. And you have to predict it. I mean, it's predictable behavior, but it's at a point, it almost gets comical. Um, the child is using an example of what the mother's imagined exceptional genes and or nurturing have done for the child. If you are placed in the golden child rule, you likely felt very important to your mother. If so, she may have praised you, rewarded you, and bragged about you. Very, 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 very um, possible. Um, you may have misinterpreted treatment like this as unconditional love. Your adult relationships may be negatively affected by your expectation to receive attention. Okay, I'm trying to do different, two different podcasts, like two different court, different recordings into one podcast. So we'll see how this goes. I wanted to continue from my conversation yesterday. Um, the second um, role, we had talked a little bit about hero or golden child roles. And... Um, the second role that I want to talk about is the scapegoat or lost child role. And this is from the Piper Narcissistic Mother Recovery Handbook from www.narcissisticmother.com. The scapegoat role, um, and again, I guess to kind of reiterate that mothers can place their children in scapegoat or golden child roles, and those roles can interchange. They can, you can be a scapegoat one day and be a golden child the next. In the scapegoat role, the child is used to carry um, their narcissistic mother's unwanted emotions. By carrying their mother's baggage, the child shoulders feelings that are too much for any child to bear because those feelings are adult in size instead of child-sized feelings. In the scapegoat role, the mother projects um, all that she finds undesirable in herself and wants to condemn. You're often the truth teller who sees something wrong with the family. You, feel, you may feel rebellious, betrayed, misunderstood, angry, and shut out. She may have called you terrible names, 
abused you emotionally and or physically and pitted others such as siblings, neighbors, and teachers against you. She will occasionally ignore you in any of the parts of herself that she doesn't want to address. And you may have an entirely separate life outside the family that no one bothers to notice. <clears throat> so that pretty much kind of sums up um, how I was treated. And I guess probably to give some people perspective, again, it's not that I was screamed at every single day of my life growing up while I lived with them. Um, this is more a pattern of behavior. Um, this, again, emotional abuse is is something that, that occurs in a, in a behavioral pattern sort of way. Um, so I kind of wanted to put that into perspective. Um, so a little bit more about narcissistic mothers. As the trial of a narcissistic mother, you experience your mother very differently depending on the role in which you were placed, who she was surrounded with, where she was located, and around external things that were used by her for attention, such as prestigious possessions or mood-altering substances like alcohol. Um, she would try to have you experience her point of view as her own, <clears throat> as your own, which is a way of controlling you in an enmeshing way. So we'll get into um, enmeshment. And enmeshment, if you think about it, is is there's just, there's no boundaries, basically. Um, there's no emotional boundaries. There's no um, physical boundaries. Um, that is enmeshment. So enmeshment is a common way that maternal narcissists control the reality their children experience. <coughs> Excuse me. That is totally how we grew up as children where we were never, when it came to her isolating us, we were never allowed to have our own opinions or feelings about things. And if we did, we never said them. Um, particularly with with my father's family, we never were able to, you know, have our own relationships or to have our own feelings about anything. Um, later on in life, she... Um, due to some, um, due to the death of her parents, <clears throat> death of their father in particular, um, she took on a completely different role and it kind of, and it literally was overnight. Um, we had a great time with family, aunts, uncles, cousins, things like that. And it was literally, you know, the day after, the day after her father was put in the ground, it was, it was, well, it probably happened even before then, but it was probably the day of where it just, it literally happened overnight where we were basically told to never talk to her family, never, never interact with them, to, to take them off of our, our social media, to not communicate with them. And it became, it was a slow insidious process, but she was able to successfully do it. And with, for me, she did it for nearly 11 years. And she always made us feel, we were only, we were only hearing one side of the story. And, you know, when, when your parent is telling her adult children that she forbids, forbids you from seeing other family members um, and framing the story and rewriting the story in a way that makes her the victim. Um, I'm not saying that wrong things didn't happen. I'm sure that they did. Um, but I think that her, she felt very betrayed. And so that is kind of what started the downward spiral for her. She would, you know, she never was much to in with alcohol or alcoholic substances or anything. And that kind of became part of her, um, which is interesting. Um, and 
I don't have anything against people that drink. I mean, obviously, it, wine, whatever, is pretty well known. I mean, you see it everywhere you go. Um, but I think that it does become a problem when um, you tell people that the only reason that you partake in it and that you can't control it is because of outside circumstances, which is a really poor excuse because, as you all know, um, we all make that decision to you know, drink. We all make that decision to decide not to have control over it. Um, and that's probably a very arguable um, thing, which this is, that's not the point of the podcast. Point of this is that, <clears throat> that, you know, when, when she completely turned around um, as a result of that happening to her in her life and we felt very sorry for her. Um, I think that the rest of my family still feels very sorry for her. Um, but it came pretty apparent after, you know, seven, eight years that, I mean, she didn't even want us to go to Christmas. She didn't want us to go to graduation parties. She didn't want us to do anything. And that's really, I think when you're telling your adult children what to do, and I, I you know, at some point, you, you got to let your kids make their own decisions, especially when they're adults. Um, she basically made it, you know, that you were betraying her if you interacted with them, if you talked with them. Um, and while I understand to an extent where she didn't want us talking to certain people in her family, um, you know, people that absolutely had nothing to do with the circumstances that, that put us in that situation, you know, that's pretty unfair to expect us to not talk to them or, you know, deal with them or interact with them or anything like that. Um, so we were kind of, in essence, her flying monkeys. You know, we did our bidding for her. Um, we, you know, if we saw her family out in public, you know, we were not to interact with them. We were not to look at them. We were not to smile at them. We were not to talk to them or anything. Um, it got to the point where I just got to that time in my life where I was like, this is nonsense. Like, why are we, why are we continuing to do this? And I wanted to know the other side of the story. Um, things just over the years, you know, as slow and insidious at times as it was, things just weren't adding up. And when I was able to reconnect with, um, you know, my, my father's sibling, um, it made me realize that there, maybe she's not telling the truth. Um, so that is kind of what made me feel that way. Um, obviously, you know, I had to make that decision and it was a very tough decision to make because I knew that once I crossed over that I wasn't going to come back and I was not going to come back for good. Um, so that was a very, very, very tough decision to make. Um, but I think that, you know, enmeshment is definitely that way of how she wanted us to think the way that she thought and therefore we had our no we had no original thoughts or feelings or opinions about her situation it was always based upon what she wanted us to think and feel so i think that that is something that she will always you know have to endure in her life i think that my siblings um it's funny because after the years have gone by she would put different rules on us and and we we were allowed to do different things so for instance, my sister could interact with them. She could talk to them 
Um, in fact, she could go to dinner with, with one of, um, with someone in, on my mom's side of the family and my mom knew about it and my mom, she wanted her to, you know, um, I think that that's pretty telling. She would put different rules on my brother. My brother could be, you know, friends on social media with them, but it was almost like for me that she tried to basically put different rules on me as to who I could interact with versus who my brother could interact with versus who my sister could interact with. And that's pretty indicative of who they felt was a golden child, who they felt was the scapegoat because for my sister, because she is, was the golden child and probably still is, um, my sister basically had free reign and, and could do whatever she wanted because in her, in my mother's eyes, she's all good and it doesn't matter if she's interacting. But for me, if I was interacting with them, I, you know, since I'm considered all bad, then I'm just bad no matter what. And me interacting with family that I've been estranged from for 11 years, you know, that that was bad for me. And so it's, it's different standards. And you'll see this a lot with narcissistic people. They'll place different standards, you know, they'll place different standards on different people. And it's basically like a different set of rules. And as we get more into talking about narcissistic traits and behavior patterns and different theories and different perspectives of narcissism and dysfunctional personalities and, and things like that, you'll see that these people are very much in their own little world. And if you don't mirror exactly what they want in their own little world, then you are all bad and you are horrible and they all they do is talk bad about you um, and think negatively about you. So Another thing that they talk about in terms of getting out of dysfunctional, abusive, narcissistic relationships is self-care. And you may see that term being used on social media, being used by, you know, um, other people that talk about getting out of a dysfunctional personality. But self-care is a process that allows you to be clear about how you were treated as a child. And no one survives a mother like that without some relational trauma. This isn't about being, this isn't about being, having a pity party. It's about developing an emotional vocabulary and a map of your inner terrain so that destructive habits no longer eat away at the good parts of your life. Um, if you think about it, you know, people that had parents like that or in, were in relationships like that, you come out a different person. You really truly do. Um, I was just having a conversation the other day and I was saying to this person, you know, I have to almost go because of how I was raised and the person that I came out came out as as a result of it, I'm not that person. And so I have to find me. I have to find after, you know, all this time of of being under that thumb, I have to now figure out who I am as a person. Yes, I have a job. Yes, you know, I am successful and independent and, you know, those sorts of things. But in terms of what is it that I really love? What is really, truly my passion? What is it that I really, really enjoy doing, you know, that, that fulfills me and, and gives me purpose? So that doesn't always necessarily have to be your career. It can always be something outside of your career. So that's called self-care. Um, I'm looking through this book here and just trying to talk about, you know, different things. So obviously, we can get into the topic of narcissistic abuse awareness. When you grow up in a household that is dominated by a dysfunctional person, the whole family suffers. Um, if you have a narcissistic mother, you may also have a narcissistic father or an enabling father who does her bidding and allows her to act the way that she does. 
ding, ding, ding. That is exactly how um, my father has operated, where he has always, always, always um, stood up for her and stood up for her behavior and stood up for the way that she acts. And he, um, that is, that was something that I had to come to grips with because if I was going to keep my children, if I was going to, you know, devote time, money, effort, tears towards getting out of an abusive marriage, I certainly would not be doing myself a favor if in that process of getting my children away from dysfunctional, abusive people, that I would just allow them to continue being part of my family and and being people that my children would continue to be around. And so that's where it came to me, where I had to realize that the this is why I got into an abusive marriage. This is why I had abusive relationships in my life was because of the way that I was raised as a child, you know, in the household that I grew up in. And so my father has always done her bidding, has always allowed her to act the way that she wants. And that in itself is almost, a, is, is pretty much a form of abuse. And that was hard for me to come to grips with because I always kind of saw my mom, you know, as being the abusive person, but, you know, and looking further and deeper into it, um, actually it was a Dr. Laura call, which is crazy, a Dr. Laura Schlesinger call. And um, this girl called in and she had a very similar issue. And Dr. Laura basically said to her, you know, you're, you're looking for a relationship with this man. And he allowed her to do that. And he did not stick up for you. He, he's just as bad as she is. And that's pretty true. Um, he has always done her bidding for her. It has never, you know, it's always been that way. Um, again, my father knows no different, but that doesn't make it right or justify it. Um, when people have approached my father and, or my father has approached people and they kind of challenge him and say, you know, your wife is abusive, you know, um, she's coercively controlling. And his response is that, well, she's not as bad as my mom was. Holy cow, that's completely minimizing and min- and trivializing the way that somebody is. And because she's not as bad as who his own mother was, that makes it okay, you know? So people get trapped in those relationships where we talked about or I talked about in the first podcast where it kind of becomes this like slot machine. You know, you just never know what you're going to get. And, and so um, I think there's a lot of factors that, that keep him with her. Um, so what is narcissistic abuse? Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you either know about narcissistic abuse or you're wanting to know about narcissistic abuse or you're, you're wanting to know more about family um, behavioral patterns. It's a specific form of emotional abuse. Um, one aspect of this abuse is that expectations are reversed and the children have to play the role of the mother. Um, this is under at least, you know, narcissistic abuse under a mother. They have to care for their narcissistic mother's wants and needs, do not receive the attention and care they need themselves. They do this to boost their own low self-esteem and to control their children. Um, the unhealthy parent-child interactions may have left you believing it was your job to serve your mother's every wish and desire without getting anything in return. Um, the abuse can lead you to get into relationships where you do all the giving without receiving anything in return. If you were put in the golden child role, you may now realize you have put unrealistic demands on those you care about because you were falsely empowered by your mother's enmeshment as a child. The big thing is, is that narcissistic abuse can literally destroy you. 
it really can destroy you. I've had some pretty dark days and I've certainly come out of them um, positively and learned a lot, learned big lessons. Um, one thing that, you know, narcissistic abuse is something that is not recognized in the court system. Um, court is about facts. They're not about emotions. They're not about feelings. And I think that it's more of the behavior and actions of people that you can prove is what carries the weight rather than, you know, how they made you feel or the emotions that you went through uh, during that process. So that's another podcast, obviously, of course, but projection of feelings. These are tactics of narcissistic abuse, projection of feelings, notorious for projecting feelings onto their targets who are usually closest to them, such as family members and friends. They take their feelings, including hatred, anxiety, and loathing, and they project those feelings onto other people so others can assume the blame, which takes it off of them, obviously. It's confusing. It leads you to questioning yourself and your self-worth. This abuse can affect many people in the narcissist's life. They're master manipulators. They perfected their craft of being able to control everyone around them without others realizing it. it. And on the surface, the family controlled by a narcissist may look like the perfect family. And that certainly is true. Your family may be completely different behind closed doors than it is out to the public world. Obviously, there are some things that you're not going to do in the public world, you know, even if you do have a healthy family. Um, But this is more of like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. The main reason why um, this type of abuse doesn't get recognized very much is because these people are really good at what they do. They're very manipulative. They are very much, um, they are very much able to continue doing what they're doing because they're so good at doing it. And those out in the public world that see a completely different aspect of it um, certainly don't think that that person could ever be that way or act that way. And that really, there is really nothing farther from the truth there. So we'll continue in the next segment.